When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Rogue Rebels Podcast. I'm your host, Sal, and I am excited to talk books. But, you know me, I get lonely. Don't like to be alone, so what do I do? Family, family, where are you? No, you didn't read the books? Dang, Carabast. Um, I got a guest. He reads a lot of books. He reads all the books. In fact, I think there's like, there's a nice little try. There's a nice little triforce of us here. Like between me, this guy and like King Tom, we usually are able to answer all of the boys questions in any sort of uh, chat situation where somebody can't remember which thing happened where. Um, so I'd like to re- bring uh welcome to my own podcast. I forgot how to do an intro. Uh, Rick V from Jam Transmissions. What's up, buddy? Wow, I, you know, watch out for that speed bump, man. I almost tripped on it myself coming in. It happens, but dude. I'm happy to be here, man. And thanks for uh, putting me in with, with some good company with uh, the king of all times. Yeah, king no, the, he's, he's the third. You know what I mean? Like, that's, we are the, tri- you know, it, when any, when Hawes got a question, when Naraj got a question, when any of our peeps have a question, it's you, me, or it's King Tom who get in the text. I'm glad you included him for some diversity. <laughs> Good times. Like, hey, <laughs> like we, we, welcome, we welcome all kinds, dude. We are all inclusive. <laughs> all inclusive Triforce right here. And I'm mixing my, uh, you know, what do you call it? Eh, it was going to be a good joke, but it probably wasn't. Anyway, mm. we're here to podcast. We ain't got time to waste on bad jokes. Uh, we're talking books, specifically phase two books. And this is kind of like a catch up episode. For me, because these books books that came out a little bit ago, um, one of them is the middle grade book, Quest for Planet X, and the other one is the young adult anthology, Tales from Light and Life. No, Tales of Light and Life, my bad. Both really, really good in my opinion. Both, um, I mean, Tales of Light and Life really bounces around and sort of is that bridge between phases one, two, and three, I feel. But... You know, as we're heading into phase three, I know you and I have sort of already, we're already in and out of the whole beginning. We're already as far as you can get into phase three without being an author right now. You know what I'm saying? Boy, to sit in on one of those yeah. Zoom meetings or whatever the hell they do. Excuse me. a fly in the wall. Can we get some more dinosaurs over here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, over, the guy over at Lucasfilm Rants. What's the status on the dinosaurs? <laughs> Uh, good times. Uh, Rick, yeah. you are not only a guest on my podcast and any other podcast that has questions about books. You got your own thing going on, man. Where, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, right now, mainly you can find me 
on uh, Twitter and Blue Sky at Cad Bane's Bounty on both. But all of the deets for where you can find me and ways to contact the show, Jam Transmissions, are on the website, uh, jammedtransmissions.com. That a good friend, Sean Hoffman, put together for me. I got to shout him out every time I talk about the website because it's dope. Best mod in the game. And, uh, yep. So there's ways to like rate and review the show, send emails, you know, links to the tea public and all that kind of good, uh, good stuff. And you can also just listen to the episodes right there if you want. But, uh, you know, the show is pretty much everywhere, and I put them out whenever I get the chance, especially, like, doing these book reviews while the strikes were going on. This was kind of what mm-hmm. was keeping the show going, um, since I wasn't really talking about the shows while they were happening. And um, right, right. But uh, now, you know, the strikes are over, so we get to talk about other stuff. But I think talking about books gets me excited about Star Wars in a way that is different from, like, talking about the shows because there's like a smaller group of us that read a lot of the books there's a lot of book readers Mm -hmm. but you know it's not the same audiences of the show so there's almost like this exclusivity being able to read this stuff and especially now being able to do it early like getting review copies and stuff Mm -hmm. um which in and of itself is very humbling to like they picked me to be a bigger nerd than i already am um but um it's like it's really cool to be able to have that stuff. And then, like you said, be able to share that information for, with people who don't have the time to read or maybe don't have the interest in wanting mm-hmm. to read the stuff. But we can fill in those gaps for people. So, Good times, good times. I love the, uh, I don't know, like books. I don't know, like you and me are of a certain generation, I think, that went through a time when books and comics was the only Star Wars that was happening mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a minute. So, like, that was kind of sustaining our fandom I'm counting on my fingers 30 years ago. You know what I mean? So like it, the, to go back into the books and I just feel like you get such a, there's such a breadth of creativity in the books, particularly the high Republic books. Mm. And I think it's because of the freedom the creators have that they're so unencumbered by the usual Canon. <sighs> regulate, uh, you know, like the, just because of what, I, like they get to explore this new era that they created so they're not as encumbered by all of the other things already populating that area of canon as people are in, you know, the, the, the eras of Star Wars that we're more familiar with. The, you know, original trilogy and, every, you know, you got to worry about what was happening during the Clone Wars. Oh, no, actually, was that Anakin was actually on Christophsis. My bad. You know, like them being able to just go off, um, I think, is a real strength to the era in total and then also the creativity that's coming out of it is just like almost every book and i'm not even gonna say almost every book that's come out of this high republic thing i've really really enjoyed um it's definitely one of my favorite things to happen in star wars in a while i am partial to jedi so take that for what it is (laughs) you know what i mean so uh but like that i love what they've been able to create in these eras it, I, it's one of the best things about this whole initiative altogether is that it's removed from everything else that's established. I mean, obviously there's connections to things that we can kind of glean at some connections, but it was like as the sequel trilogy was winding down, there was a lot of wishful thinking about like, I want completely new stories that are set a thousand years after the Skywalkers or take me back to the Old Republic. I want to you know, be removed from all of this stuff. And then they gave us this thing in an era 
that is completely unexplored. You know, even like in the Legends days, there was nothing that kind of landed in this in this time frame. Right. Um, and right. it's one of my favorite things that like they're not hamstrung by existing canon. You know, they're establishing a whole new canon to fill in some gaps. And I think by the time this whole initiative is over, we're going to start to see how all of these little tendrils that for right now don't seem to be super connected are affecting everything that we've seen in the mm-hmm. prequels. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now that faith, I'm not, we're not, we won't get too much into details, but like yeah. the stuff in phase three about like the guardian protocols and how that is meant is like shifting its way into, for lack of a better term, the politics of the Jedi of the prequel era and why they look the way that they do, why they train the way that right. they do and things like that. So like those Absolutely. seeds are being planted and it's going to be really cool once this is all over to maybe not read 150 books all over again, but to be able to like, oh yeah, I remember when that thing happened in that one book and that was kind of the spark for this whole, mm-hmm. you know, chain of events that got us to where we are, you know, <laughs> years and years and years later. Yeah. I think I'm just about as deep in phase three as you are right now. They just released a book, like when recording this, they just released The Eye of Darkness, just came out, um, which I loved. It was a great, uh, you know, like the High Republic books have been really, really well done, but this was definitely one of the like masterpieces of the era and of Star Wars books in general in a way that I didn't quite expect. I wasn't sure what to expect, but it uh, definitely exceeded whatever that was. Uh, and the comics have started off. We've got a couple issues of Shadows of Starlight. We've got some, you know, High Republic Phase 3, uh, Issue 1 at least. You know, but everything's been, like, great so far. But uh, I, I, what I'm really happy with and surprising, surprised by is how much they've been able to sort of uh, fill in, like... A lot of the phase two stuff that I wasn't sure was going to be consequential or sort of like, you know, because phase three, phase two ended up being a prequel that happened so far back in the day that we weren't sure how much it was. Oh, I guess this is the origin. We thought maybe it was going to be a backstory of something, but it's coming back, at least in this one book, it's coming back in a way that is making it, I don't know about necessary, but definitely important to the, some of the storylines that are happening during phase three mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't expect. I expected it to be like, Oh, okay. Now I know such and such as backstory or whatever. And now they're literally yep. going like, we need to go find that one thing or we need to bubble or this person remembers that one thing or person or whoever. And I was like, Whoa, this is rad. I mean, it, it's one of those things where like all faith to the creators behind the scene that they would have made phase two things more relevant as we're reading phase three Mm -hmm. but while reading some of the phase two books i was like these people's lives are going to end like there aren't a lot of long-lived species that we deal with Mm -hmm. in phase two and i'm like in the in the middle of reading some of these stories was kind of like i don't know how invested i want to be in these characters because they're not they're not going to be around for whatever reason naturally or otherwise but Again, now, like you said, like knowing these stories, the little things that are seated in the Eye of Darkness that connect directly to Phase Two, um, I'm kind of, now I'm kind of like, okay, even if we never get some stories right. with some of these characters again, now I'm understanding more of the relevance of the stories that we did get. 
you know, the actions that they mm -hmm. took 150 years prior and why that's relevant to the yeah. stuff, you know. And, and some of that's even just purely specu uh, speculative, including something from Planet X as I was rereading it yep. that I was kind of like, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, I'm going to have to take that note of that one. for phase three. So. <laughs> for me. Uh, yeah. real quick, you can check us out at theroguerebels.com. We have a Facebook page. Go and like it. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Hive. What else is out there? Blue Sky. I said Hive already. Uh, Threads. At the Rogue Rebels. Hey, catch us wherever we are. And then we're on Twitter at Rogue Rebels Fam. Uh, Lizzie's over there at Star Wars Geek Girl doing their thing. So see what's going on. And make sure you come and rate and subscribe and whatever you do. Share us with your friends. All your High Republic homies. This is for them. Too. So, you know. Also. Yeah. Let's, let's all. Let's all hang. One big High Republic party. I guess let's get into some of the books. We're going to talk about Quest for Planet X and Tales of Light and Life. I think we should start with Quest for Planet X um, by Tessa Gretton. It is the middle grade, the second middle grade reader book. And it like takes off with the characters, some of the main characters from the first from the first middle grade book, which was uh, Quest for the Hidden City. The Hidden City. Um, which was Das Lefbrook and his father were a pathfinder. In the first book, they're like stranded on the planet. They send in Rupert Natani, a Jedi, and her master, Salandra Show, to like go help them. It's like a whole haunted house kind of deal with like these crazy vampire weird bats. It's pretty awesome. Um, so this is after that. Uh, let's see, Rupert Natani's like researching on Batu, and she gets a call from her buddy. Das Lefbrook, who's going to enter a hyperspace race with one of their friends because they think they might be able to find Planet X. Doo, doo, doo. And that's the whole thing. Uh, I enjoyed this book quite a bit, and I think I went back to this a few times. I like I like Ruper a lot, and I like the character interaction. Like this, uh, like we don't get too many opportunities to see the Pathfinder teams doing what the Pathfinder teams do in Phase Two. Um. So I like the idea, like, the uh, the pilot is uh, a graph. Their name is Skygraph. And they're, like, the pilot navigator. Das is also the navigator because he's a pathfinder. So he's, like, you know, and then the Jedi. So, like, them taking those little jobs, the navigator, the medic, the gunner, the this, the that, of what a pathfinder team is as they explore sort of unexplored parts of the galaxy. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's one of the one of my favorite things about this book is the character interaction between the three of them, and just seeing, like, their pasts, how they're dis like they're different, but there's things that are very similar between the three of them. You know, with Rupert growing up as a Jedi, mm -hmm. and the things that you learn about you know Sky and their family. And same thing with Das and his dad, which we got to see, like you said, more of with um, the Hidden City. Yeah. Um, and so, like, and their kids, I think Das is only, what, like 12 in this book? Yeah, yeah. They're um, all, you know, teenage, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I was, I lost sight of that while reading the book. And there's a, a specific scene later on where, like, it was after the fact, I was like, no, that kid's only 12 years old and that thing happened. Like, yeah, I don't know how I would be after 
we'll get into that. But it's really interesting. But I love adding that context because sometimes, like you, you, sometimes you lose that. You're you're getting lost in the story, and you're not really you you forget about that or whatever image you've created in your head sometimes doesn't quite match the thing of what it is. And um, like I'm going to mention Ahsoka now, real quick. When they have those flashbacks of Ahsoka, young Ahsoka in the war, like you get that context of what maybe you missed in animation because you were just like, oh, this is stylistic representation of a thing. And then you're like, oh, yeah, no, this child was 14, 15, 16 fighting a war. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what the Jedi did. They did become soldiers. They were training children. Like, And that's no different from the Rebellion. Like, Ezra was 14, 15, 16 fighting a war. You know what I mean? Like, so I think... uh like that was something in Ahsoka that kind of like not opened my eyes, but that I was like, oh, that's right. Like she was a kid. Like, you know, the animation model grows up and you think like, oh, OK, like, look, like, but it's animation. It's like not quite reality. Hmm. So you don't apply the same reality to it as you do when you see a live action person in the role. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that was a child <laughs> at war. You know. And I think like these middle grade readers, like the stakes are uh, like I sometimes I like the middle grade and the YA books. I've said this before because they're shorter. And so the action and the intensity of the book is usually like pretty fast paced and well paced. And there's not a lot of lulls in between. You get to the point of the story, like the scenes move quick and you don't have a lot of time to like meander, I guess. Whereas some sometimes like the older novels uh there's a lot more like downtime or or whatever and it and it sometimes it can feel long or it can drag or whatever right but with these young adult books they're just like boom we're doing it okay okay now we're here now we're done you know yeah it's it's like the um the introspection in these kinds of books is a lot more concise Mm -hmm. and a lot less for lack of a better term flowery and descriptive like you would get in the adult novels Mm -hmm. which is fine but, you know, consider the target audience and what kind of uh, attention spans they might be right. working through. Even for, you know, a middle-aged person like myself, you know, it's, yeah, it, it can be a lot easier to get through these things where it's just like two sentences of like, and they thought the thing. And it's like, okay, well, that clearly describes their motivation. It's like it's, mm-hmm. it's more, you know, to the point. Um, so I agree with you there, like some of these middle grade and young reader books. Um, they ain't got time to play. They just yeah, get yeah, right yeah. into it. They just get into it. Boom. It's like, go. You know, and I guess that makes sense. You know, George said these books are for the kids. Boom. Let's go. That's right. I'm sorry. He said these movies are for the kids. I said books. Uh, he was holding the, the <laughs> novelization. When he he's holding it. his script all bound up. Yeah. <laughs> Signed in the background of somebody's documentary or something wherever he pops up <laughs> uh okay i'm gonna give a real quick summary of the book you've got you got das Lefbrook, the pathfinder son of a pathfinder you've got sky graph who is a graph um for those who are not familiar at this time there are like two major they're called like hyperspace prospectors because they're like finding these hypers like the 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 hyperspace routes to the outer rim have not been quite fully mapped yet. So this is like a time of exploration and they're the ones who are mapping those routes. They're, they're almost like the westward push, you know, like they're that, uh, 
<laughs> they're, they're the ones out there mapping these lanes and places to the outer rim and sending and selling the coordinates or whatever to their hyperspace lanes. Um, and there's two families. One of them is the uh, Santecas, which like you might know from episode seven, Lore Santeca is one of them, a descendant. They're also heavily in phase one of High Republic. And then you have the Graphs, which are also heavily in phase one. But if you don't know them from any film, you might know them from a book series called Adventures in Wild Space, where the children of Graphs who are like explorers and scientists get like their parents get kidnapped and the whole series. It's like a seven book series about them on their adventures to try and find and save their parents. Um, so you got Skygraph at this time is the youngest, you know, sibling of, a of that family. And they're trying to make their own, uh, mark, you know, they're non-binary. They're like a pilot, but they want to like do their own thing in the, in the family. Like, cause I guess at this time the family's all like, well, you have to like make your own thing and make your own mark and make your own splash. And they don't feel fully supported by their family because their father was the only one that really supported them and was there for them. And so like their father died or was lost X amount of years ago. And so they're like, I'm going to find my father. I'm also going to like make my own mark on the family because nobody here supports me. And then you got Rupert Natani, who is the Padawan of Salandra show, the shield carrying Jedi. I think that's the coolest thing as a martial artist. I just like, uh, random new styles to throw into the mix and to be like, Oh yeah, let's go one handed sword and shield on this piece, uh, which is like well represented in the battle of Jeddah. Uh, in this book, she's a little, I mean like in both of these books, she's so much more, she's barely in this book at all. She's more in, in quest for the search for the hidden city or whatever it is. Um, this she's like, then this uh, Rupert and Tani, they sort of go off on this mission and she wants, cause she's trying to reach Jeddah. The Battle of Jeddah is happening. She knows her master's on Jeddah. She can't get all the communications are blocked. Communications are going down. Uh, we find out later that a lot of that has to do with the path of the open hand. We also meet another character. Their name is Fel Ix. When I was reading it, I was like, Felix, what's up? But it's Fel Ix. <laughs> and uh, they are like tasked by the path of the open hand to sort of go out. They have these special code and they like reprogram these communication buoys. That is how communication is happening to the path of the, so that like basically they reconfigure these buoys. Like they don't quite disable them. They basically change it. So the path of the open hand can use them. Everybody else is shut out. Everybody else is blocked. Um, which I thought was really interesting. Cause it's like, they don't quite destroy them. They just quite, that like make it seem like everything's cool. They're also reading everybody else's transmissions. And then when they want to, they can block everybody else out, which if you've read more of the phase two stuff, a lot of this culminates in the battle of Dalna, which at the end of this book, they they're searching for planet X. They enter this contest question mark starts on Batu, Hell yeah. Um, where they get on the ship. Skygraph has an item that is some sort of like hyperspace resonator thing that they think can help them find Planet X because they think it can lead you to places that you've been. So Sky 
wants Das to come along because Das and his father, if you've read the other Phase 2 books, they they got to Planet X. They were left for dead, uh, betrayed by their other prospector that was there, who is the guy that gives the coordinates to the Path of the Open Hand. Uh, I forgot his name. Sunshine. There you go. Dobbs. Sunshine Dobbs. Um, and... So Sky thinks if they have Das, they can get to that planet and win the contest and make a name for themselves, right? Ruper just wants to help her friend Das and also is trying to like, because they're like, if you come on board, we can get out of here, out of Batu, and then like, we'll try to use our comms and you can reach your master because they still can't reach Jeddah because of all the comm stuff going down because the battle of Jeddah is happening. So Ruper agrees. Along the way, there's a lot of upsets there's a lot of disagreements rupert is like is this that important das wants to be like well my dad is too scared to do anything my dad ever since we got left for dead on planet x and <laughs> almost died by weird vampire bat things that turned into ash or jewels or something um it's been a rough time for me so i'm leaving my dad i want to like be a prospector but he's like too scared to like explore anymore and then Ruper is trying to reach her master. So, like, along the way, a lot of stuff comes to light. They end up capturing Felix at one of these, like, buoy stations and find out the plan that they're, like, destroying or, like, reprogramming those buoys. And then Sky finds out that, like, they're using graph code, which is, like, this... The family has their own code that they use to reprogram things, and they're like, that way it's all proprietary and it's all in the family blah 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 so sky they realize that you know one of the graphs someone has betrayed the graphs and sold whatever to the path of the open hand because that's the code that they're using to like mess up all the buoys they end up at the battle of dalna um they decide not to go to planet x they decide to go try to help people they go to the battle of dalna and if you've read any of the other books you know that most of the time um, the communications are down and then finally the communications get brought back up and they're able to call in reinforcements and able to like get people to help at the battle and reach each other and stuff they are in the space and they're reprogramming the buoys with the help of Felix and uh, Skygraph so they're like out there in space and there's like a really cool scene that like you know like they're trying to like re- get the com buoy on board and they're like grappling it and they're flying and they're trying to like the, the pirates are shooting at them and the path of the open hand ships are shooting at them and Rupert Natani goes out there with her two lightsabers in a space suit and is like deflecting turbo laser blasts <laughs> with her lightsabers um, and then a little while later Ahsoka came out and she was doing the same thing on the end of the ship <laughs> and I was like hey Rupert Natani did that like 400 years ago but that's just me okay did I miss anything? <laughs> no, I think you got it all. Uh, even, uh, yeah. That's pretty it. They, they, they all I, make good with There was family. an asterisk that said, pay attention 300 years later because another force user might do this thing. Uh-huh, yeah. And, and they were nice enough to put an illustration into the book showing us exactly what we should be looking out for. Okay, we were talking about this earlier. Review copies. Uh, the review copy that I received, wonderful. It's like totally the market copy. But the one that came out for the, uh, what was it? The Quest for the Hidden City. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it was like a sort of like advanced copy paperback, like a different printing. And it didn't have any of the illustrations. No, no. So like when that book came out, I was like, I need to go to the book. Like I ran to the bookstore, like, cause I, there was three little photos illustrated by Peter Antonson or whatever his name is. Uh, and that I needed to see for the quest for the hidden city that I missed. Uh, but this time I got the illustrations. They are lovely. They're wonderful. I'm flipping through my book now. If you can't hear it on mic, um, wonderfully colorful. And there's a, uh, there's a shot of, uh, uh, Rupert Natani out there in space deflecting turbo laser blast. What's up now? So, you know, good times. Um, I don't know. This was a fun book. And then it was also like weirdly. No, not weirdly. It was like introspective to the characters in a way that I didn't expect um, to where they're going through like real stuff. And I know when you're a teenager, everything feels like real stuff. But like. There's like a there's a lot of like identity stuff wrapped up in in Skygraph and which is like they are like non-binary which is like really cool to have that inclusion, and I I I always struggle doing like reviews and stuff like this because like I want to speak on the issue but also I'm just like a normal whatever you know like I'm I'm not an I'm not any sort of queer identity, so I don't like I I don't have the space to. But I just would like to hold that space open for them and be like, hey, like, I support you. Here's a representation for you. And uh, I hope that's that's good. You know what I mean? Like, I love when I see people being represented because I know how I feel when I saw Mexicans in space. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying? Yeah, no, 100%. Like, there's there's a scene in the book where Sky is remembering their dad and how supportive he was. Um, and it was like always there and always understood Sky to the point where Sky's dad bought them their first um, like binding yeah. shirt because you know their the armor that Sky wears never really fit properly. The, yeah, was, the flight the, suit or whatever it was. They yeah, were like, it was like their older brother. brothers or something like that, and it yeah. didn't it didn't it never fit right. And so their dad got them um, the binder to you know to feel more comfortable in who they yeah. were and just yeah. always. And that's one of the big things with Sky is that they miss having that kind of unconditional support yeah. that is, is very much missing in the graph exactly. family because they're always, they're so competitive with each other most well, of the time. Not only that, it sounds like their father was the person that did that. Like the, it's not because they, they, they mentioned their aunts and their grandma mm-hmm. a few times and how they are not supportive or, understanding like they they really treat the business and the family represent like it's this uh i don't even know how to explain it but like the, the, it seems like everything comes down to their like well, i don't know like their family status or whatever it is like well you need to like rise to do and you need to do this whereas the father really let them be a person and understood them as a person and accepted them as a person and the family doesn't seem to be interested in it yet. They're just like, well, you better memorize the code. And, well, that doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Like, we just need this and that or whatever. Um, in the way that it comes off is they don't feel supported in the family without the father. Yeah, it, it almost feels like Sky's dad is like the last bridge between what was the Graf family and what became like the Graf brand. Right. Because they talk about like Aunt Jacinda and then they mention that. Aunt Jacinda might have had like 
a distant relative that was force sensitive sometime prior. Oh, that's right. And there was this wish to like, I wish I could kind of do that thing too, but yeah. maybe that person was misunderstood as well because they didn't fit in with who the graphs right. kind of are historically and yeah. stuff. And, and so there's this like a, that, that puts like a little thing between Sky and Ruper as well to where Sky is very excited to meet Ruper and have a Jedi on board and like do this thing. And then sort of like a little standoffish Sky is like defensive in general. But also, like, you know, eventually through their through their relationship, it comes out where Sky is like, look, we had a person that maybe, you know, that when I was a kid, I like dressed up like a Jedi and I had I built this thing that was like it was a fake lightsaber, but it made and it like did thing. And, you know, my family was like, what are you doing? Quit messing around, kid. And my dad was the only one who was like, that's cool. Like, good dance or what? Like, you know, like it almost like they put on a show of like what they wanted to be like oh, when I was young, I wanted to be a Jedi, but I just didn't have it or whatever. Um, there's a lot of like, it's, it's dreams, it's ideals, it's identity wrapped up in sky. And uh, I guess just the feeling of not being supported is what seems to come across in a lot of that. And then their brother sort of, I guess I forgot to mention this the whole time that they're on this thing, their brother is after them because basically sky stole the ship Technically, the brother owns the ship, you know, but they built it with their brother and all this. Um, but the brother is like after them the whole time. So the whole time they're like running and trying to find Planet X, the brother is like hot on their heels, trying to like ion blast him to like shut the ship down uh, and take control so that they to get their ship back. Um, the brother also has the hots for a Santeca his Santeca girlfriend. So this is what I was waiting the whole time to pay off and it didn't. <laughs> it never does. Or it didn't in the way that I thought it was going to. That's it, his, that's his girlfriend that he had like at summer camp that one year that everybody's like, sure. So I'm waiting this whole time to figure out. There are a lot of questions that I went into phase two thinking about. Um, origin of the Nile. I guess we kind of got that. Um, nameless. Maybe I guess we kind of got that too, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, the origin of like, who is Mari Santeca? I thought this was going to go there. It did not. <laughs> no, this this book has like nothing to do with any of that. I thought this is where that was going because I was like, oh, there's a graph and a Santeca, and there's like this weird, and then like in phase one, you have this mysterious Santeca who's been disappeared for a hundred odd years, um, who I thought was sort of. And you keep they keep mentioning how he's like, oh, he's just dating that Santeca girl. And then I was also wondering about the there's another girl in phase one. Is it Sparkburn? Jordana Sparkburn? Yeah, yeah. You know, so I was like, well, maybe this connects to that then over there. Nope. Or I, I, if it does, it was not made clear to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think there's any clear connections there. And then yeah. in, uh, in uh, Path of Deceit, I think, is where we get more like implied ties to Mari Santeca. I think that's the Kevin Scott's book. Um, the Path of Vengeance is the Kevin Scott. Path of Vengeance. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Where there's like, there's a couple, they're separated. Yes. yes. And they find out like after like the spoilers, the father yeah. dies yeah. and then the mother's like, well, I'm going to name her something special. And it's like, 
this other like Mari and like well, where the hell yeah. did Mari come from as a name yeah. like that? Hold on, who but, are you? You were a Sanchecka this whole time? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It definitely came out of left field. Um, I do like that we get to revisit Jetta in this book, even if it's only for the beginning, because mm. Rupert Natani like. It's clear in a lot of the other books that feature Solandra show, they're like, oh, my Padawan went to like research and, you know, like relax and do a little bit of training on, on jet. Uh, I'm sorry, on uh, Batu. Mm-hmm. So like having the whole story kind of start on Batu for me is just really fun because I like to go to Batu. I don't know how you feel. It's cool because that also ties into their story in Tales of Light and Life yep. um, being on Batu. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, and just this is another side thing. You might hear this on a podcast with Lizzie soon, or maybe you already heard it. Um, there's like, we got to go to Batu when it first like opened, and like before it first opened. So I got to like see, experience the world, and then like all this stuff, like Crash of Fate and Black Spire, and we got a Batu comic, Galaxy's Edge comic by Ethan Sachs, I think, and then you know like we've gotten a lot of offerings from Batu since then. Um. And so, like, nowadays when I run through things, I sort of am like, oh, that's cool. That's, the you know, oh, this is that thing that happened in that Thrawn book when, like, Thrawn and Anakin rolled up in this bar. Oh, this is, like, I like going to Batu and hearing about other stories on Batu, And then also uh, other things that let me experience it in a different way, like uh, Tales from the Galaxy's Edge, where you get to not see Black Spire. You get to see sort of, like, the out, you know, around the the periphery of it. Oh, this is a Jedi temple that's over there. Oh, this is like the ruins of this and this and that. Um, I don't know. Just having a little bit of that outside stuff to add to my Black Spire experience. I just like being like, I think I've been in that temple that Rupert Natani was at because that's part of uh, Tales from the Galaxy's Edge. I guess is what I'm getting at. <laughs> Small, but I like it. Yeah. Um, okay. Planet X. I haven't explained what that is. Planet X is where they found the nameless, the Shri Karai. Or Shri Karai Karai, if that's how you roll. So, you know, the story between behind Das Lefbrook is that him and his father Spence were there with Sunshine Dobbs. They all found the planet. And then, like, Sunshine Dobbs kind of, like, sabotaged them and left them for dead on a different planet and then went back and sold the route to the path of the open hand to Alessia, the mother and all that. By now you might know her last name. And like, so that's like his whole sort of backstory. And that's where the nameless come from. That's where the eggs that they were capturing and all that. So, like, this whole contest that's on Batu, it's the quest for Planet X, is where they, the two big families, the Grass and the Santeca, sponsor this huge race that they sort of, like, they send everybody out to try to find Planet X, and then they, like, buy the hyperspace routes from whoever, the whoever discovers whatever hyperspace routes, right? So, Sky wants Das on board because they're like, yeah, you know, you've been there and I have this hyperspace resonator thing, ancient technology that can find where you've been. So they keep following that and they keep getting like two steps away. Like they keep getting to a planet and they're like, this is not planet X. And then Des is like, wait, but I've been here before. And they're like, it's working. 
it's getting closer. Oh, this is planet. This is not planet X. Oh, this is actually where me and Rupert fought all these like creatures. Oh, this is where I was right after. We're getting closer. So it's like kind of working, but it's like not kind of working. And it's, it's like this weird, it's like a resonance compass. Like they, they explain it sort of like a couple of times. Um, I just thought it was an interesting little thing. And then like they all have their reasons, right? Das wants to find planet X because that's where their ship was left. And that's like the last picture he has of his mother. Sky wants to find planet X because then they can make that or like their father was lost searching for planet X. So they think if they get there, then maybe they will find their dad. Maybe he's trapped there and stuck there and they can help, you know, and Rupert doesn't really care about planet X. She just wants to get a message out to Jetta, and she's like trying to find every chance she can. But um, I don't know. There was like some really interesting like family stuff wrapped up in this, which I guess is a thing when you're. I don't know. I, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was very well done. And I just thought it was. Uh, this is a good book. <laughs> yeah, this this these kids, they're all dealing with like different phases of trauma. You know what I mean? Where it's like yeah. Sky is, is can't let go of their their father, which is understandable, um, even though they have no idea of his whereabouts and anything like that. But Sky can't let go. Das is trying to keep the memory of their mother alive, mm-hmm. of his mother alive through this one hollow image. And with um, Rupert, it's the idea that Rupert yeah, she, almost can't, she can't handle the idea that something bad happened to her master, yeah. which is almost like this parental figure for her. Yeah. And like all of them are like in different stages of it where they're almost all in denial at one point and you get to see how these kids all come to help each other and like mm-hmm. share in that grief, even kind of preemptively to like figure out their priorities and what really matters you know like you know is is a picture of your mother going to make her come back no but then you have you know das once they once das essentially gives up on the quest and says well you know if somebody finds the silver streak hopefully my mom's hollow will bring them some kind of happiness or maybe the silver streak is now a part of planet x in in some kind of beneficial way and you know sky finally being able to let go but then having their brother accept them mm-hmm. for who they are after this whole thing with yeah. an embrace and not, you know, because Hillis is like chasing after them the whole the book whole time, and like catching yeah. up to them. And, you know, once it all comes to a head, they're like, Sky is worried that, you know, Hillis is just going to be screaming at them and not understand. And it's and is yeah. met with an embrace to say like, listen dummy like i'm trying to keep you safe yeah. and you, i was just yeah, worried you about you ship but i'm worried <laughs> about you yeah yeah um, which is a big thing with um what spence left broke down dances dad it's like you got to let him know what's going on like even if you don't go back home yeah like at least tell him you're okay because if you if something happens and you don't have the chance to tell him so like he'll never know and he'll be in the same position that Sky is in. And that's mm-hmm. what I was saying, you know, earlier about Das being 
12 years old, Daz gets basically eaten by like a mushroom planet in this book and comes <laughs> oh, yeah. out of it like full of this goo. And it's just like, I almost died. That was awesome. And you know, everything yeah. like and Rupert and Felix are like, yo, man, this kid's crazy. Um, yeah. But it's 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 about the excitement, you know, mm-hmm. that they just they are so in the moment. Yeah. And it's about that, like that, like, cause in that moment, they're like, oh, like my mom was like a xenobiologist. She would love this. Like they, they're finding these different ways to connect with their family and their memories or whatever that like, you know, you, when you lose somebody, it's rough, dude. And you have to, it's not like let go, but it's like, let go. Like you have to find other ways to honor their memory. Sometimes it's not as physical as you think. And I think like, there's that moment where, uh, you know, you're talking about Hellas embracing Sky, like well, Sky doesn't realize that whole time thinking that their father is the only one who loved and accepted them like Hellas apparently does as well, you know, but like just didn't show it in that way. And like finally realizes that like their brother is there for them, you know, and Das. Sort yeah. Of, you know, like there's there's a lot of that stuff there. And I, I really like it. And it, it's sort of like it, this all comes to a head up above Dalna where Rupert finally gets a message out and is able to contact Salandra and find out that she's okay, you know, as they fix these combuies with the help of their captured fell X plant path of the open hander who they captured trying to mess with combuies out somewhere. But, and fell kind of journey is that they're doing this sort of thing for the mother and they end up just wanting to go back and be like, look, you captured me. It's whatever. But like, my family is on Dalna. Like if you, if something, if there's a battle going on there, I want to get back there. I want to be with my, I want to protect my, as best I can. Like, you know, I know I was doing like bad things, but that's like not important. You want to arrest me after whatever, just let me see my family. You know, I thought that was a a very interesting turn for that character as well. Felix's story in this book was really interesting to have, it's this kind of enemy mind thing yeah. where they're, you know, they're they're locked in with our, I'm air quoting heroes because mm-hmm. from um, Felix's perspective, they're not the heroes. Um, you know, the Jedi corrupt the force by just simply by using it and any allies of theirs is an enemy of, of the path. And to have uh, his journey where, you know, the constrictive, nature of who they are to the point where like he can't even walk around with his tails flowing that they're wrapped around his waist mm-hmm. um, under his clothes throughout the book and then when he is reunited with his family at the end none of them have their tails bound that way they're just free to be who they are mm-hmm. is this kind of lesson of like kind of that letting go and the very last sentences of this book are some of the most powerful about acceptance where um, the other Kesserin of his family look at Rupert as a threat immediately knowing nothing about her. Mm-hmm. And Felix, you know, basically says, you know, no, she's, she's good. Um, she is not our enemy. And there's this handshake between Felix and Rupert at the end where he says, the the path will be free or the, the force will be free. Mm-hmm. And she responds with, may the force be with you. And that's, that's the close of the book. 
yeah. of this kind of bridging between these two opposing people who finally had to come to this understanding, albeit through, you know, a pretty contentious uh, right. meeting. You know what I mean? It's like they took Rupert's lightsaber, one of her lightsabers, and she had the other one pointed at Felix, and that's how the other path members were sent away and all of that stuff. But yeah, yeah his journey was was really, really cool. And I also like the idea of having this, like, cultural explanation of how Kesserine family structures work, mm-hmm. that they kind of essentially have, like, like multiple, I don't want to say multiple partners, that's not the right word, like, as, like, not in a sexual sense, but it's like in the like, you know, it, it, it takes a village to raise a child kind of thing. And they all mm-hmm. look after their littles together, mm-hmm. their kids together, yeah. um, and rear them as this, as this uh, community unit, which also goes into, I think, a really, really big underlying theme of what all of phase two is. Because, and it's really, really prevalent in the adult novels for phase two in, in Convergence and... Um, um, what's the other one? What's um, convergence and cataclysm? Cataclysm. Hey, thank you. Um, how communication itself is like a character in these things, and how important it is to find ways to communicate more effectively, and literally to like bridge these beacons together so that that so that they can uh, communicate across space and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that is really prevalent right now with the start of phase three in the eye of darkness because of what happens at the end of phase one in the um the raising of the occlusion zone that mm-hmm. uh, martian row has done and like secluded off this this whole sections of like the outer rim and stuff right. which i, I want to bring this up because I, I there's a couple of passages from the book that i um like had had highlighted for myself and there's one where they're talking about um, hyperspace travel, and Das is like explaining like these short jumps and like getting away quickly, especially at the very beginning of the of the hyperspace chase, mm-hmm. um, and how like mapping these things out, which we get like a really crude explanation in A New Hope about like you know charting charting hyperspace and like. You Dustin know, crops. Dustin crops, whatever he says. Yeah, but it, like the actual words here are that they have to make short jumps that we're pretty certain certain have no occlusions, and then there's like a like a real small definition, something that interrupts hyperspace. Mm-hmm. And it's like while I was reading the Eye of Darkness, like the idea of an occlusion zone just made it sound like there was just this wall that they couldn't get through, and there literally is. It's called the storm wall. But the idea is that. You can fly through or into the occlusion zone, but you cannot use hyperspace travel to do so. So you have to tra- you have to travel sublight, which means it's going to take you way longer yeah. to get in there. And all of their like buzzkill droids that they have like at the gates, they're they're going to tear you apart, you know, because you can't fly through in you know hyperspace. And it's like it was just cool. That this was one of those things that it's seeded here that we get this explanation more fully in. Um, the Eye of Darkness about what actually the occlusion zone means by definition right. instead of just being like we secluded it off for ourselves and this is where we rule. It's actually a place that you cannot travel to without great effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's like a thing that's 
I think it's like a, it was, it was at the end of, we saw sort of the genesis of it at the end of phase one in uh what is it? Eye of, eye of the storm, uh, you know, where he like busts out the storm seeds and blocks off hyperspace and it like, but now you're seeing a lot of the repercussions and a lot of that stuff in phase three to what effect that has on the galaxy, you know, when we're like a year out. So, um, that's phase three stuff, but the, the connection here in that the phase two stuff, like there's, I don't know, there's just a lot more connection to this book than I had thought about. And it has a lot to do with that resonator and it, it makes me interested, excited. And I really enjoyed this book anyway, but yeah, it's good times. Yeah. One, one other quick thing about this book that I completely forgot from, cause this book came out in April. Yeah of 2023 so who knows when this episode is going to come out and we both had advances of it so we read it in march probably Mm -hmm. of this year and there's characters in this book that whose names i had completely forgotten about and then i read the the nameless terror comic books (laughs) and there's you know jedi master rock baron and Mm -hmm. corin solstice and i was reading this book and i was like I know these names. Those can't be the same. And I was like, yep, sure yep. enough. Those are those the the master and apprentice that are in the mm-hmm. Nameless Terror comics. And it's yeah, you know, my son read those books and didn't know he did had he hasn't read anything High Republic, but he was reading those comics and was like, Dad, who are these people? And I completely forgot that they're both in Quest for the Hidden City and mm-hmm. that they're both in this book. As like yeah. some of the first people that they talk to outside of Dalna before they actually get back to uh, Solandra's show. Right. And then if you go back on the other side and you get like Path of uh, Path of Vengeance, uh, like some of those Path of the Open Hand characters are in that book. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, there, there's like Hold connections on. on all sides of the Nameless Terror that you don't get to see until you finish both of those things. And then you're like, oh, I get it now. Um, which is like, I don't know, pretty like the way that the interconnectivity of the High Republic in general has been amazing. Uh, I just like, you know, the publishing order. And then when you go back and do things and then you're like, oh, this is a thing that I didn't pick up on. And now it seems like it's a big deal. Um, so, yeah, I just it's 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 well done. Well done. Authors, publishers. Editors, I don't know who to heap praise on to, but all the people that make something like this happen, thank you. I enjoyed it. Yeah, just kind of like final thoughts. This is, considering the the age that this book is intended for, it's a really, really, like, even outside of the fact that it's Star Wars, which is a thing that we just love anyway, but it's a really good book of lessons for coping for, you know, kids of a certain age that may Mm -hmm. have a hard time dealing with you know other you know certain kinds of transitions in their lives be it identity or loss or um strained relationships with people uh i think a book like this has a lot of merit as like you know ways to like showcase those lessons without it you know just bludgeoning kids over the head of like just where you need to be with your mom and dad kids it's not that kind of thing like it's 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 really well done and I, that's one of my favorite things about these young reader books is their creative ways to kind of give these like subversive lessons thematically that maybe kids aren't even 
aware of while they're reading it. They just see it's really, mm-hmm. you know, this is a really cool story. And there's lots of pew pew and yeah. weird aliens and stuff. But, you know, underlyingly, it's these kids are learning how to be young adults and, and well-rounded, you know, people. Yeah, definitely. Which, like, in general, is like a good note for all of Star Wars. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, being a good person. Don't be selfish. Be selfless. Be this. Be that. Like, there's a lot of inherent, like, core themes of Star Wars. And, like, this book definitely touches on a few of them, especially, like, young, growing people identity, like you said, is, like, a big part of this book about these people trying to make their mark or trying to figure out who they are and their future and, like, you know, uh, what's the word? Like, coming to terms with their past and all that kinds of stuff. Um, Beautiful book. Good times. Good illustrations. Go pick it up. Yeah, it, there and there is something in this book. I mentioned this way, way early on that it has my my mind grapes working for some phase three stuff. That um, I, it's kind of like a way off theory, and, I, and I'm not one to really theorize, especially with the books. I just take them as they are. But so you talked about how Sky was able to detect that the codes in the buoys were initially graph codes, and were able to like override the path codes that were put in and then essentially reboot the entire buoy communication system um, in that sector of space. And I got to thinking about the way the storm seeds work in phase three with the storm wall, which is something that the Jedi cannot get through. Mm -hmm. Um, They cannot communicate through it. They can't fly through it in the eye of darkness. And there's, you know, billions of people on the other side who need help that they can't find their way through. They, this is that, that one thing that they can't crack. And I'm wondering, since the graphs were even somewhat um, connected to either how the paths were able to use these things, there's the speculation that their like cousin Tilson probably sold codes to the path of the open hand mm-hmm. to use buoys. And that's how they were able to like infiltrate the whole system altogether. I'm wondering if there's something in these storm seeds that is connected to that, that uh, Kevin Tarr, the scientist from phase one will be able to connect. And that'll be a way to override the storm seeds for the Jedi to finally get through. And that is like some way out speculation. If that comes true, if it comes true, um, like I'll do a thousand jumping jacks in my <laughs> living room. Nobody's going to be able to see it, but just trust me, I'll yeah, do it. Because I'll be like, oh, damn, I got one right. right. But um, it to me, it just seems like, you know, the seeds are planted yeah. that here's a way to like override these connecting, you know, communications right, right. buoys. And that's essentially like what that. the, the storm seeds are. Yeah. And the, the, the even better part of that is this episode probably won't come out till after you've already been proven right. And then they'll just be like, well, they just recorded this yesterday and said they did it seven <laughs> months ago. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Uh, so you'll get no like bragging rights, but I believe you. I heard it. There's proof. You know, I'll this like go it. on record. I'll be like, I, Salvador Perales, do solemnly swear that <laughs> <laughs> the forthcoming testimony of Rick V uh, was true and correct four months ago when he made this claim. <laughs> Good times. Good book. Good times. Uh, Let's move on. Tales from Light and Life. This is an anthology collection of like 10 stories. If you pick up the Barnes and Noble exclusive, which 
I did. Uh, I had a Me little too. bit of a I had a little bit of a thingy here, because what happened was they were like, "We're gonna drop it a month early, and uh, you know, uh, come to San Diego Comic Con, and you'll have a special like edition a month early." And so I hit up my boys and was like, "Yo, grab me one of those, big dog. Hit me one. I need one of those a month early. I need to read those stories. I'm all cut up on phase two. Come on." So they got it for me. Then like that Monday, I got my like review copies. And then I was like, oh, awesome. Now I have two. (laughs) And then the Barnes and Noble edition came out with another story. And I was like, well, I have to buy it. So then I got that one. So I think I gave one to Araj. (laughs) I think I gave one copy, but now I'm sitting on two copies still. Um. Yeah, I also have two copies because yeah. I got the review copy, which I blew through right away. Yeah. And then I was like, well, wait, there's a 10th story. But wait, there's I have, more. I have to read this. And it's like, there was no way to get a digital copy and yep. it's not in the audio book. Mm. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm just going to go I buy just, the damn book. I have so to now go I, to a physical Barnes and Noble. Yep. We just said it was one of those things where my wife was like, well, let's go to the Barnes and Noble and just said, let's go see what kind of books are there. And like, mm-hmm. My son was looking for something. We all walked out of there with, with books, and I grabbed this one, and it was like, don't you already have this? No, I, no, I don't no, have this one. Not at all. Look, and, then, and then we got home, and I was like, look, the cover is different. It's not the same The book. cover is totally different. There's not even it's, hands on this one. It's 93% the same book, but it's not the same book. <laughs> not right. by a long shot. Right, right. Uh, yeah, same thing. I couldn't let it go. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I know this is a big deal for... Like for us, it's just like this fun story, but I know for international readers and collectors, it's a big deal who have a lot more of a hard time getting this. They can't just go to a Barnes and Noble down the street. Um, so I kind of feel for them missing out on Alyssa Long story. But, uh, you know, I, I I don't know how to solve that problem, but I'm sure there's a way. Digital copies, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure that'll be an international release. At least of the story, it'll be in uh, yeah. something. They'll do like one of those uh, collections of the insider stories. Oh, yeah. And it'll probably be like in there or something like that. I picked those up. Those are good times. Um, let's see. So I guess. Well, I actually, oh, real quick, the copy that I got, now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't get from a Barnes & Noble. I ordered it from Charles Soule, and he signed it for me. Dude. I completely forgot that that's how I got this damn book. Red. <laughs> like one-tenth complete yeah you know you're gonna have to bring that around con you're gonna have to have that in your backpack for a while it's weird because i think i think i have all of the other authors signatures (laughs) but it's not in this book (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's fair i get it uh okay so this anthology spans all phases and it's supposed to be like it's supposed to lead you into phase three it's supposed to like uh, it's supposed to do all those things it's like the connective tissue as we go into phase three. Um, nine stories, ten stories if you get the collect if you get the Barnes and Noble one that has the extra Alyssa Long story. Uh, I'm just gonna start off with the phase. I don't know. I I, I don't like doing anthologies because I feel like it's difficult. But Zoraida Cordova, the first story, The Queen's Bloom, and this is the one about Axel Greylark. I don't know how you feel about Axel Greylock as a story, as a, I'm sorry, as a like character in general. He's very hateable, but I like him a lot. 
He makes a lot of mistakes, but I like him a lot. I I like the first half of your description, and that's about it for me. Okay. I do not I do not like him as a character Let, at all. Let's just I, put it this I, way. I, I I get like the redeeming side of it, but mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, f that dude. I don't like him. He's, yeah, like it, it's rough. But there's a like let's just put it this way: for a lot of the books, uh, let's say let's take Cataclysm for instance. I was kind of cheering for him to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole time this book is really really good it sort of is like a prequel it goes back to like almost i guess maybe his first meeting with the mother or alessia um and it's like in his school days where he's like ditching school it was very much for me i got like super ferris bueller's day off vibes of him faking his illness yeah it was a little ferris bueller a little dazed and confused <laughs> But then it got really like he he skips this thing and then they're going and they're trying to steal from this senator because there's this big like party. And of course, that's the party that his parents are at because his parents are the senators and the da, 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 da. so like there's a really cool conversation with his father. And if you read the rest of the books, you know that his he, he lost his father. So clearly this is before that, you know, and to see that connection and why that's affected him so much in the later stories. I thought it was a really, I thought it was really well done. That was really interesting, and uh, I like the story a lot. I thought this was going to be the story where he loses his father, oh. and I, I was not expecting that this was his first meeting with the mother. Right. Like so, to me, that was a big surprise, um, and I, I, there's a part of me that's kind was kind of hoping to see that story about his dad. Like, I don't want to. And see anybody's dad yeah, die, but right. it's like to understand Axel that much more. I think for me, the story that we didn't get would have given me more value for his character in explaining his motivations. And I know that stuff is mm-hmm. in the other books, but it's like I, I need to see him in that moment to make a lot of that make sense because, okay. you know, he's young yeah. or young ish and he's, you know, making decisions that aren't the best. But to see how far into the path he gets and how like deep his relationship is with the mother, um, what does she call him? Chaos, I think. Yeah. In the books, and like he's like a pet to her, and I'm like, I, I need more to explain that for me, yeah. and I need to know why he had as much animosity towards the Jedi in regards to his dad's death, and so like this this mm-hmm. story like. I wanted it. It's fine, but I wanted it to be a different story. Okay. I I liked it particularly because, like, the moment with his father, like, you get to see the connection that they had, like, why his father dying had that effect. You know, like, I, I got something else out of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really got a little bit more understanding. Like, and, you know, still in this story, he's a person that, like, you don't like and he's doing bad things and, like, but seeing the way that his father sort of understood, like seeing that relationship that he had with his father, um, it, it sort of put a little bit more to context into why losing his father did sort of like affected him that much into where he sort of turns into this, the person that we see in the other books, I guess. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I liked it. it a lot. Um, and I just like, like that, that, the, the whole the scene with him and his father is just really well done. Yeah, uh, I agree. That that scene is a standout in the story. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got 
The Closed Fist Has No Claws by Tessa Gretton. This is the Marta Rowe story. This is after phase two, like after everything we've seen. And if you followed her story from beginning to end, this is sort of where we see like what she has become. And it is pretty terrifying. This story, to put this into context, Quest for Planet X and this story were both written by Tessa Graddon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Quest for Planet X, as a middle grade reader, has a lot of light moments. There's a lot of humor in it. Um, Like the peril and the danger is there. And then you flip into this story, and it is one of the most terrifying things to come out of Star Wars literature that I've read in recent years where I was like, oh my God, this woman, Martyro, is brutal. And I don't know if, like, the first person way that it's told, like, maybe that adds on to it because you're inside this person's head. You know what I mean? Like, in a different way than you are in normal storytelling. Or not normal, Mm -hmm. but like the usual, you know, third person, whatever. Um, it's the first person story and to see what this person has become from the person that we first met in Kevin Scott's path of deceit. You know what I mean? Like the transformation is like night and day. And then on top of that, yes, this is like one of the most terrifying stories of who this person is, what they have become. And then I guess like this is the sort of story that really spells out how they are the beginning of what eventually is going to become Martian Rose legacy or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. This thinking about that, the first person perspective of this thing, I think there's only one other canon story that's written first person, first person. And that's yep. the, um, heir to the Jedi. Heir to the Jedi. Yeah. About Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like that book is fine, but like it almost doesn't work the same way that this does because just looking at the opening lines of this story, like the first paragraph, the first paragraph of this thing ends with the line, you are mine. Hmm. You know, it's like they're in, we're in her head speaking in first person, but she's addressing us, the reader about a legacy. And it's so menacing and so threatening, but it's so hard to like, want to skip the story. Cause like this story is going to scare the hell out of me. And then you see the things that she does where she pits She's like, she's in the story, she's trying to find other Avereni people, right. which is her species. And she finds two, a brother and a sister, and then one, she makes one kill the other um, as like this test of allegiance, but also like this challenge. And the way it's all handled, where Marta's like just on this throne, essentially. And it's just like, I tire of you, now fight kind of energy you know this like uh queen of hearts kind of like alice in wonderland mm-hmm. like feeling about how she instills this this fear and loyalty in her subjects and it's just like it was chilling to read the story yeah there's a lot of i don't know like there's not a, i don't want to call it brutality but there's like a uh like there's is almost no empathy left in this person anymore. It it's came gone. And, from a place where they were like all empathy. She was the one who was taking care of the little and like that's uh, some of that mm-hmm. is referenced. But like even for us that read the books and remember 
uh, it's just such a shift. Yeah, and, and for people who read Path of Vengeance, where, where Marta is at the end of that book, she kind of like just goes away at the end. It's like the big battle happens, you find out who the mother is, mm-hmm. and you see like her cousin is like trying to find the pieces of the um, the rod of daylight, whatever, the, I forget the pieces yeah, that control the level and all of that. Yeah, but the, like mm-hmm. Marta just kind of like is gone. Like just right. took the gaze yeah. electric and is just like just kind of disappears. And then to have this be the pickup story for her yeah. is like how much farther down that road because there was a time in Path of Vengeance where you almost have this understanding of Marta's um, motivations where you start to almost like, yeah, okay, I can kind of see where you're coming from. Not in a way mm-hmm. that's like, I'm with you. You know, it's a, you know, it, I'm, I'm got the same closed fist. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's like this carries that on where she's in this isolation and part of that isolation just like feeds her her menace and uh, how she handles the people underneath her and and how you can see that growing into what becomes the Nile later on there like the cutthroat nature of what mm-hmm. that organization becomes it's like it starts right here in the yeah. pages of this yeah. story. It's almost like at the end of phase two you sort of see her. And the path that's in front of her but here you see her clearly on that path like and how far she's come and it yeah is, this this yeah. story is wicked yeah uh we have shield of the jedi by george mann again and this is a, a story about rupert natani and her jedi trials um uh, a, once again a character that we just talked about from the y oh, not not even the y the middle grade books so if you probably read, if you read the YA books or the adult books, you might not even read about Rupert Natani, you know, but the idea of the shield and like how symbolic it is in the stories that they wrote, but then Solandra show really making that a thing. I really like this book. Um, it takes place mostly on Batu again, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was really, I don't know about instrumental, but it was really good to catch up with that character, like much older in a time where they're taking their Jedi trials and they've like, they've grown to known the things that they learn from their master. And the idea of the Jedi as a shield just to me is like super, super interesting because it comes down to like the themes of what star Wars is and what Jedi means and what guardian and protector really is. And the shield really symbolizes that. And I just like the way uh, they wrap that up in the story. Yeah. It's a really cool, like parallel like almost like opposite parallel of Marta's story in in the last uh, in the last story where Marta's very concerned about her legacy, mm-hmm. but it's just her. You know, there are no other Evereni. When when they do come around, she does terrible things. Yeah. And this one, the idea of legacy from Salandra to Rupert as the the tri- as her trial is happening mm-hmm. and this kind of like scavenger hunt kind of thing is going on and there's like this giant spider creature that's stealing scraps of metal from this village but they think it's there to like kill people yeah but then they find out the truth of what this this spider creature is um and how it's been there and like there's this harmony that exists mm-hmm. later on towards the end of the story and all of that and once rupert does pass her trials uh spoilers she then inherits 
Solandra's shield. Shield, yeah. Um, which I thought was a really cool way, and and it's super unique among the Jedi because I, she's the only, you know, shield right, using like that. Jedi that we've yeah. ever seen. Um, and to have you know Rupert be the one to kind of pick up that mantle, uh, yeah. and for what we've seen in Quest for Planet X of how she wanted to be that the, the shield, mm-hmm. but all she had was her weapon to do so, um, was really cool, and it. it it gets me excited to see how she's going to uh, fight in the rest of Phase Three. However prevalent her character is going to be, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not in the, not even in Phase Three. Um, oh, oh yeah. But it, but but if we do get other stories with her, uh, yeah. like what the rest of her life was like as this shield bearer for the Jedi and how she went out to protect mm-hmm. you know other peoples in different places and stuff like that. And and the idea that the shield is like this item that has been passed down from master to Padawan to master to Padawan. Uh, where is it now? You know what I mean? Like who, uh, cause we have never, you know, in Canon, we've never seen another Jedi with a shield like that, but Charger like, had it. There you go. Problem solved. Mystery solved. Thank you. Jordan. And then, and then Luthen, Luthen rail had it. Luthen got it. <laughs> he was like, I'm, I'm cursed to use the weapons of my enemy. <laughs> uh, and just like this one felt very George Mann to me in the way that George Mann's other books, uh, Myths and Fables and Dark Legends, like a, a little mythic and a little fable and a little like that way in the, in the way of like a, 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 a fable or a uh, something like that. Um, get ready because Eye of Darkness flips all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. We got The Lonely Traveler's Home by Daniel Jose Older. It's no secret. If you've listened to this podcast before, that is like my favorite author. Um, this is about, this is during phase one. We're in phase one now. This is Ram Jamaram trying to plan a surprise special awesome party on Stylight Beacon for his friend, uh, Zine Rala, who he assumes is missing home because, you know, her home was almost destroyed and she got taken and now she's not welcome there anymore because she uses the force and this and that um a very cute story a very like it's just it's just fun it's energetic and it's good to see these people that like really care about each other and just the ways in that they're just like these kids who are just like he's a litter this the the story the wikipedia on this is like he's party planning (laughs) but like if you read the story it's really beautiful to see how these people care about each other and how they try to help each other through something so simple as like, Hey, I think my friend's down. What can I do? Yeah. This, this story is like one of the sweetest things I think I've read in, in some star Wars in, in the year that gave us the eye of darkness and Hmm. rise of the red blade. um, This story comes out and it's just like, these kids they just they just really like each other yeah. and they're they're like aware of each other's kind of like um depressions and, and kind of stuff like that yeah um and it's no secret uh, you talk about dj older being a favorite author my nephew ramiro is one of my favorite characters to come out of the high republic like this kid is like this husky mechanic you know, doesn't, 
feel like he fits in with the rest of the Jedi because he's not about like the spirituality of it. He's about mm -hmm. the machinery of it and like how that, you know, shapes the way he views the force and stuff like that is lots of little moving parts, um, which is exactly what the story is, is he's planning. He's asking all of these different people to help and like find ways to contribute and stuff like that. They're each their own moving parts to this bigger thing that he's trying to make for his friend. Um, and it's like, that's how the force works for him. And that's how mm -hmm. the story works just as like a storytelling, you know, mechanism. Like that's, it's, was really, really cool to see, um, the whole thing and just, uh, the, oh, and the, what's his name? Uh, the one that has like the, the skull mask that was in uh, the High Republic Adventures. Court does like the best impressions of oh, yeah. other like Jedi masters. <laughs> yeah. Like Court doesn't speak basic most of the time, but he's learning. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, now do now do Elzar Man. And he's like, believe in the force. And he's like, has like this really yeah. like hyper changed like <laughs> caricature of a voice. <laughs> he does like everybody really well. But like when he's not doing the impressions, he just speaks, you know, whatever, uh, not whatever court species is. I forgot. Yeah. I just thought that was hilarious yeah. that they're all like, a, they're all at the cafeteria yeah. eating their cereal or whatever. And he's just like, you know, sounds yeah. completely out of character. Jedi uh, cafeteria hijinks. Can't go wrong. Yeah. Love good it. Times. Uh, this is a definitely a heartwarming story. This young kid's just looking out for each other and like. The story is basically something as simple as just trying to make your friend feel better and at home. And like, what does that even mean? Like for people that may not have a home, like he's kind of a Jedi and he's like, he feels like his home is another temple. And then, but he's also sympathizing with his friend Zine who like can't probably go home ever again. So like, how does he make this her home now? And how does he, you know, like it's like simple ideas, but it's, it's beautiful. It's cute. It's heartwarming in a way um yeah if, if you like the young jedi i'm sorry if you like the high republic adventures this is this is all you well he's he's also seen a part of his home be destroyed because yeah. he's from valo from valo yeah and like he can't go back there right now because it's wrecked yeah, well, apparently we're getting a, a another middle grader book soon about that Oosh. we'll see all Oosh. right uh, let's see. After the Fall by Claudia Gray. This is about the Vessel crew, which is, you know, what is his name? Lox and uh, Geode and Affy Hollow. Affy. Yeah. All like after the events of the Fallen Star. So after the Fall of Starlight Beacon. And they're sort of like helping over on Iram with the, you know, like all the stuff that happens after a, a, a disaster. After an attack, after, you know, a, a big tragedy. And they're sort of like, you know, like, there's a lot of things happening as they're like working with the Republic and the Jedi on, on recovering the people, the people that are injured, feeding the, the refugees, the survivors, like all that kind of stuff is sort of covered here. But then it sort of steps back to like things that happened in Into the Dark to where she brought down the Bind Guild, which was how these, uh, not smugglers, like pilots, like they cargo pilots. They were all sort of like making through almost like their union or whatever. Um, because of the problems with that, that she found over on the Maxine station, that person got arrested. The build was broken up. And now these people are sort of just out there on their own. 
And the gist of the story is she decides that maybe she can sort of assemble it for them looking out for each other like build another guild where they do protect each other and look out for each other not in the way that her old mother slash boss did it exploiting each other um and there's a lot of really beautiful moments in here and like i don't know what like because the real life stuff is like way too close to home like of what happens and disasters and tragedies and attacks and terrorism you know it's happening right now um like how do you help how what can you do you know like some of these people like they're just like oh we're just waiting for the lottery so we can get out of here and get our ship on the road and she and her crew they vote and they decide like no we're gonna stay here and help we're gonna you know geode's really good at patching communication so he's gonna cover that and you know me and locks are good at repairing so we're gonna help people repair their ships and we're gonna help feed and we're gonna help you know whatever they can do on the planet as they see these people who have lived through this tragedy it's uh it's beautiful in a way that i didn't expect and then it's also like i don't know there were some really touching moments in this like where uh there's a few like little real parts like one point there okay you know we have rations for everybody you know we're, we're getting more but this is we have enough for everybody and, you know, somebody is panicked and freaked out. They're like, well, what do you mean? Why are you ordering more? Are you lying to us? Like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, what's his name? Space Matthew McConaughey is like, hey, hey, hey. Last I heard, people eat more than once every day. So, you know, of course, they're ordering more. But that doesn't mean that you you don't have to be hungry today, man. So just calm down. Chill out, bro. You know. This story was one. Like, when, when we found out that Phase 2 was going in the past... Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, damn it. We're not going to see the vessel crew for a while. <laughs> and this was one of the first. I remember when phase one started. Um, I had advanced copies of. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Into, Into the, dark? the Dark. And the first middle grade book, which I'm forgetting the name of right now. And I, I had those before I had Light of the Jedi. Test of courage. Um, test of courage. There you go. Got you. So, thank you. Um, I had those before I read Light of the Jedi. So I read Into the Dark first. So the vessel crew was the first like unit that I really like bonded with, with like Wreath Silas and that stuff mm-hmm. from that book. And so finding out that we were going in the past, I was like, well, what the hell happened with that dude? Like used like a real parachute in star wars yeah. and survived and <laughs> was like that. i'm like what's going where are they like they're obviously there they're they're they have to be helping people but it's like mm-hmm. what happened to them um and i was really concerned with like what is Appy's state of mind she's 17 years old she's a kid mm-hmm. you know leox has seen some things he's been around and like Geode is just one of the best characters to come out of anything Star Wars. Yeah. In the last in the Disney era, I would say, just for pure comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's even like some mentions of like in this story of like just watch out for him. Like he's a ladies' man. <laughs> like he's a big slab of rock. Like <laughs> I just like, love like be uh, careful. it never gets old, dude. Oh, he knows when no. just to listen. There's one point in this story where she's like talking to somebody. And they're like, she knew just what Geoid would do. Stare this fool down. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. 
it, it is it was very perfect like it, and it was i think having this group be kind of like the immediate like transition characters after the fall of starlight for me was like the best way to do it because they're not jedi they're not super powered yeah. in any way they're just yeah. they're regular people in iraq um <laughs> that want to help and like the 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 feeling of being powerless for regular people in a world where there are essentially superhuman yeah. people um, really speaks to that idea of helplessness of like, yeah. there's never going to be enough that we do to try to help people. Eventually they're going to have to start to do these things for themselves because we have our own lives to live. Mm -hmm. um, and again, like what we're going to get going into phase three with a lot of these younger characters. And like I said, Abby is 17 what is she going to be like by the end of this thing? Like, will she be, will she carry some kind of like jaded mentality because the good guys lost? Mm -hmm. Or will it be something that's even more motivational? So, you know, to make sure that things don't happen again, or will yeah. she, I mean, she went from being like very sullen at the beginning of the thing to being like that Sally Field uh, union organizer by the end of like, uh, yeah, we're going on strike if we don't she's go help these people. And I think like she's surrounded by good people. And like that, the thing you talk about, how about how we're so used to seeing Jedi, these heroes rise up and da, 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 da. But like these people who are just people, like she's just a, a, a pilot and a navigator and a, you know, a, a cargo ship runner. But like they do what they can to help where they can, you know. Uh, and you just talked about like, the ancient technology of parachutes that my man used to survive but uh just another shout out as i'm sorry i'm gonna humble brag here as a halcyon guest like he's talking about in that book also the fallen star he talks about this ancient hyperspace compass that he has that he's like mm, it don't look good uh they have like on the halcyon there's a ancient hyperspace compass that you get to see and they're like this is what they used before they had like nava computers and uh, when i was reading that book the whole time i was like that's rad so sorry anyway i thought you were going to say you stole a parachute from the halcyon and now it's <laughs> closed great. you have I one. jumped out of it too. <laughs> uh it's and uh, uh, claudia gray never misses another great claudia gray story but i like it is that it is that people like we are the here like we could be heroes too people jumping up to help each other even if it's something as simple as like working the food line you know like there, there's a part where where she she like walks up to the food line and like avar chris is serving and she's like hey i got this why don't you go like where you're needed and avar is like hey thank you i, I should go where i'm needed or whatever you know like but like everyone is helping each other and there's like i don't know there's some really like beautiful and like bitters like there's a they talk about there's like a wall of of photos or pictures or hollows or whatever of people that are missing because they, they they just they can't find them yet or you know what i mean with a, a, a disaster this big they're lost they haven't found the bodies presumably or maybe they're still okay like there's that hope and then you also have she's like at one point she's looking out over the sea and seeing the wreckage She's like, well, I don't know, like maybe they're going to tear it apart or maybe they're just going to leave it here as a memorial. You know, the sunset is beautiful in nature and this thing is like this tragedy occurred. 
it doesn't erase the beautiful sunset, but also like this destruction, like they both coexist at the same time. This thing that is destroyed and evil also exists and doesn't erase the beauty, nor does the beauty erase the hurt and the pain and the loss that happened here. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of introspection in, in Affy. And yeah, I, I do want to see where these characters go. Can't wait. I think it was the great uh, Jedi Master David Bowie who said we could be heroes just for one day. There you go. What else we got? Uh, the Force Provides by Justina Ireland. If I'm not mistaken, this is the Vernestra Rowe story, right? Mm-hmm. So... Vernestra Rowe seems like she's like, I'm a way seeker now. And I guess nobody argued. I'm not sure exactly what's happening. But she's out here uh, riding on trains, protecting old ladies who just happen to be pirate princesses uh, who are getting hunted down by corrupt unions. Uh, And it's like a whole thing. But I love that her, like, she's haunted by Starlight. She wasn't even on Starlight. Just, uh, I'm sorry, not Justina Ireland. (laughs) Hopefully she's not haunted by Starlight. uh, Vernestra Rowe. She lost presumably her master and her apprentice. But she was on Valo when everything was going down. She was helping with the with the people. And but she's 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 able to differentiate her visions from her nightmares, which is that sounds like it sucks in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the way that she goes about her Jedi, like she's a little reluctant to call herself a Jedi. in a different way than we noticed before and so there's a lot of these paint like she was stellan's apprentice padawan so there's a lot of like and i don't know there's a lot of this unfinished business i think that she has i love her character i i don't know what the future brings for her but out of all of the characters she's the one that's been confirmed to be in a show that happens like a hundred years down the road um so i'm very very curious this was like a little bit of its own set adventure but it also had a lot of implications of like where she is she's distancing herself from the jedi in a way that she didn't before she still is a jedi but she's like a way seeker unofficially and then she's not claim she doesn't dress like a jedi she doesn't move like a jedi she uses her light whip when nobody's looking um so I don't know. There's a lot happening with Renestra here, and she still has that path. Yeah, th- this story was like it was almost a little bittersweet of like reconnecting with Vernestra this way because mm-hmm. she is clearly not the same person she was, like in A Test of Courage, uh, way early on, where she's kind of like this bright-eyed prodigy Jedi, youngest, you know, Jedi Knight in generations kind of thing um, where we, you know, if you've seen like the, the concept art for her character in phase three, like she's wearing like this high turtleneck, like her hair's different, you know, her, she's not wearing like Jedi robes anymore. Yeah. She's a little more kind of rugged looking, um, yeah. but she's also burdened with this heavy responsibility of the knowledge that Mari Santeca gave her before she died. Yeah. Um, about how, path engines kind of work or the way um the nile use like the mini jumps is that what uh, you think it is 
I think so because, but there's I I know that that's like a specifically why they used Mari, but I know she mm -hmm. gave her other knowledge. That was it. It's not really fully explained in. I'm trying to remember yeah. what book that was from. It was in uh, Out of the Shadows. Out of the Shadows, yeah. Um, I got to reread that book, man. But yeah. there's, she's given this responsibility that nobody else has, and it's almost like she almost doesn't know how to yeah. vocalize what it is that she knows. And she, yeah, it's she the, doesn't know what to do with it, and she doesn't know what it's for yet. Right. And so that's the thing that's kind of driven her away from. Um, like the more mm -hmm. academia of Jedi life. Uh, and like, again, like what's, what happened with Imri? What happened with Stalin? Like she's in the middle of this thing. She's this very transitory character. Mm -hmm. um, and I, she's going, I, I think she's going to remain that way for a very long time. Well, yeah. Is, and uh... so by the time, by the time we see her in the Acolyte, not only she's get, she's going to have this wisdom, but she's going to have, I feel like she's going to be carrying around a lot of like a heartache an emotional heartache to yeah. like, I was there when this stuff happened and I mm -hmm. couldn't do enough. Even though I was gifted this knowledge, I still couldn't do what I needed to do with it because I didn't understand yet. And the, uh, I think the next book we're getting with her, the phase three book is, is defy the storm. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that Justina Ireland as well? Yeah, I think so. Okay, because that's like her character, and like if this is setting things up for that, like this, the way that she is, the like you said, transitory nature of where she fits into all this, and trying to find out how to use that knowledge to help, and just to help in general, uh, as a person, not even as a Jedi. Like I am very curious to see where all that's going through. You know, and even in this book, it's it's as she mentions that she thinks she thinks Avon is dead, and uh, I think that's untrue because I think we've seen a little bit of concept art. But I think Avon is in Defy the Storm, so uh, hopefully there's a happy reunion in our future. You know, yeah, at least between the two of them, and maybe yeah. not Avon and her own mother, right? Who's right. uh. She's working. Don't get me started on that, Staros. <laughs> <laughs> We're not ready to talk about that yet. Um, but it's it's very it's a very interesting spot that this character is in. That I think it, it it's like for me, it's making me very interested, excited to see where we're gonna pick up next time. Mm -hmm. uh, All Jedi walk their own path by Charles Sewell. I think this was my favorite in the whole book. Surprise, surprise, it's Charles Sewell. I'm sorry, Daniel Jose Elder. I love you. Uh, this is the one about Bell and his search for Buryaga. Um, this was extremely well told, extremely well paced. He's It's after Valo, the things have fallen, and he doesn't want to give up on his friend. Because the last time he gave up on someone... He could have saved them. They were there. He, last time he, he gave up on his master thinking his master was dead. Then he found his master alive and it was too late. Um, so he carries around a lot of guilt. Um, he doesn't want to give up on Buryaga. There's no more resources to give these people. He's dealing with not only the Jedi, but the way that the government on Valo and also the like the prejudice against the Jedi now on this planet is like, well, you guys just crashed this thing on our planet because you brought your war here. 
It's like, look, weren't you guys fighting a forever war five minutes ago? Calm down. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they're they they're like they're they're outsiders. They're not part of the community. And the way that he, like, there's these memories of him and Loden integrating into this community to help solve the problems in the community. And then the way that he integrate, he like he joins. He's like, hey, I'm let me be a fisherman. I will join your crew. I learn fast. I'm a Jedi. I can help. And he joins a fisherman's crew and he becomes part of the community, part of the people. And through that, he's able to hear the whispers, hear the rumors, and eventually find his way to saving his friend, Buryaga, who is alive. Yeah, but those fishermen, he's like, I need to like join your crew. And, uh, I, you know, I just I need to get to another place. And after the first time out, he's like, and I am a fisherman. And they're like, not yet. You're not you gotta catch some fish. And like, you got to help us trawl this net. Mm-hmm. And he finally does like the first time. And they're like, ah, now you're one of us. And he's like, oh, sweet. Where's my uh, Montcalmari cable knit sweater that I could mm-hmm. shake my head at people on water planets? Get your official sweater. Get your official fisher. So everybody just picture uh, Bell Zetafar in that green Moncal sweater. You know? Shaking his head. You know, shaking his head. Sucking ships. Like, oh, I'm just looking for my friend out here. Yeah. That's why they pick uh-huh. up Buriaga with a crane and he just shakes his head at Burry. He's like looking at the new like crew member. And stuff. He's like, <laughs> you think you're a fisherman? <laughs> How many fish have you, you caught? Well, zero. You haven't even trawled the net yet, have you? <laughs> um, it was this, sto- this story yeah. was really cool, but it was like because they teased this story beforehand, and they were like, "Right, right, Uriaga's out there, or is he?" And it's like, "All right, come on now." <laughs> and so you knew this story was going to be really emotionally heavy, um, because there is, you know, spoilers. They do find Uriaga again, mm-hmm. but not without some some really hard work, but. The story also like presents a danger for Bell because yes, he's looking for his friend and he feels it's the right thing to do to help. He's still grappling with the idea that it's an attachment that he can't let go of. And that's kind of not something that the Jedi promote. They're like in this era, they're not hundred percent against attachment the way they are later on, mm-hmm. but they're also kind of like, you know, like how Yoda says about the old one, you lose your friends, like, rejoice that they become one with the Force. And he's like, I don't feel him as part of the Force, though. So I have to go find him. And then they're all <laughs> kind of like, well, it's been, you know, it's been like a month. And he's like, yeah, but I still haven't felt anything. Um, last time I saw him, he was he was arm wrestling at Rathtar. And it looked like he was winning. And then the ship blew up. But uh, I, he, I think he's okay. Um, but it's like his inability to let go. And it's something that... <coughs> Again, teasing the eye of, of darkness, mm-hmm. like Bell and his crew are, uh, they're flying along the storm wall, uh, trying to find ways through. And there's like yeah, almost yeah. a part of the council that's like, we don't want any Jedi out there because it's not safe. Yeah. But he's so hung up on the fact that he needs to help people because at some point, on one of their missions to help some people, there was another Jedi who was kidnapped by the yeah. Nile. Yeah. And again, he carries that burden of responsibility and he's like taking matters into his own, own hands where 
you know, there yeah. could be some troubling things down the road for Belle because of these things, even though there is this joyous reunion yeah. in the story. Um, I can kind of see that getting in the way right. uh, for him. I mean, it's the, like for me, like the, it's very th- the theme. It's like faith, right? Like he 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 doesn't want to give up on his people until he knows for, like, you know, and a lot of it is his guilt from his master, Loden. He gave up on his master because everybody told him, here, I guess he was dead. He's been missing for a year or whatever it was, you know. Uh, and and uh, he has that guilt from giving up on somebody and then finding out that it, they were, he could have saved him this whole time. Mm-hmm. And it's that faith that leads him to Bell. But it's also putting in that work of like, it's like, it's like you find that path, like the path wouldn't open itself to him without him giving himself to that community, to those people, being with the people. And that's like what Loden taught him, right? Like we help people, but like, we can't just walk in here and act like, all right, you know, can't, we can't roll up in here like the police and be like, what do y'all need? Like you live here. You become you like in the story, in the flashbacks that he's having with, with uh, his master. It's like this, uh, you know, these small villages on whatever planet that they're battling each other and they're fighting. And so they go to help and they don't just help. They like become part of the camp out and they go and they help. Oh, like such and such needs their roof fixed. So we're going to go help them fix their roof at the pub. And they, oh, they're going to give us a free drink. So that way we can go over here. Oh, like they're going to give us food because we're going to help them like walk their horses or whatever. You know, like they become a part of the community. They become helpers. They become people. And like not only do they help uh, what's the word uh, dissolve the, whatever the conflict is that's happening but it's almost like through them like giving themselves to the community and being part of it the people of the community realize how crappy they're being for lack of a better word mm-hmm. and they're like look like we made mistakes and you guys have shown us that like it's like a different way a Jedi can sh- can guide like you showed us that the way we were living was wrong. Like it is better that we all help each other. It is better that we all come together as a community and help those in need instead of trying to steal from each other or whatever was happening. Um, and like, at the, you know, at that point, Loden is like, okay, now we can go and pulls out like another comm link when he made a dramatic thing of like breaking the comm link three months ago when he was like, Nope, we're not going back to the Jedi until this city is fixed. And like breaks the comm link. And then bell three months later, they're like, we're better now. Thank you all. And then he's like, okay, let's go. Uh, Jedi Council, can you guys come pick us up now? And Bell is like, okay, I get it. <laughs> this story is also a reminder that I, that I completely forgot that Bell lost two masters. Yeah. Well, uh, he loses Indira Stokes as well uh, Okay. in one of the battles. It's going um, back but... and forth because I could have sworn I just read a book where they mention Indira in a living manner. And then in a comic book, they mentioned not or vice versa. And now I want to go back to a book two phases ago and be like, I'm sorry, what what happened? Because either I'm confused or. There's a lot of yeah. characters okay. in the higher book. It's the timelines book will probably help more than anything else right now. Yeah, we'll if if not, you know, there, there's a website that has all that information that's named after yes. it. Chewbac- it's Thank called Chewbaccapedia. That'll help you. Got, oh, okay. I thought it was StarWars.com, but okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, really good story. 
I loved it. I loved how yeah, paced it was. Amazingly well told. And it, it's like that. I love something so heartwarming. Like it, his faith leads him to his friend. And then you and I have both read a book where they get to be homies. And that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. What's next? Uh, Light in the Darkness by Kevin Scott. This one is about this sort of... Um, see, I can't tell. Can you tell if... It was it was a planet that was getting picked on, like huts were trying to annex it and claim it as hut space, and so they're sort of like taking the villages, taking their food, taking the da, da, taking the people as slaves, and they reach out, they call out for the Jedi, but Starlight Beacon has fallen, the Jedi are no more. We have to help each other. Two little kids go and steal rations for the whole village, then Rancor's attack, but surprise, um, Jedi Master Keeve Trennis shows up with some homies and they defeat and get the jet get the huts out of there. Is this in the occlusion zone or not? I guess is my question. I thought it was. I really, really thought the story was okay. because it, everybody's talking about how they keep calling for the Jedi and they don't show yeah, up. They can't get the yeah, they can't get the signals or whatever. And they yeah, keep running it, to the, the, the signal. They keep calling. Yeah. But they're not getting any kind of response one way or another. Yeah. So it felt that way. But then once the reveal of like Keith Trennis comes in, like, mm-hmm. you know, like Han at the end of A New Hope. Boom. Um, I'm like, well, wait a minute. The last time we saw Keeve in phase one, she was on Starlight with Skier, but then she got off. Mm-hmm. So like if she's in the occlusion, so I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on yeah. here. I like the story because I like if if it is in the occlusion zone mm-hmm. or if this is on the periphery of the occlusion zone. Yeah, on the border zone or whatever. At the at, at say like at the beginning of the Eye of Darkness and because okay. things change towards the end of the book. Yeah. I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna get into specifics because yeah. it's spoilery. But if this is on if this is <laughs> in one of those like periphery areas where yeah. the Nile essentially raid and then go back in even though it's not really the Nile in the story per se, mm-hmm. there's a lot of lawless, lawlessness that's yeah. on the fringes. So maybe that's what it is um, okay. as far as to how they're able to kind of still get in and get out. But I, I do like that it was like, well, the Jedi aren't coming, so we have to help ourselves. Yeah. And like, this is what the Jedi would do. Like, you're kind of getting that from one of the kids. Um, and I think it's like, it's a brother and a sister, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, when Keeps Keep comes in and kind of like saves the day, and it's like, where were you? And it's like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like we're busy. There were the other people, you know, because they were like, okay, like you guys are gonna do it, and they were like, well, what about you? And Keeb is like, well, there are other places out there like you that need help. Like you're not the only ones. Like not to be a jerk, but like, you know, we need to help more people. You know, but you guys, you know, you know how to do it now. You can stand up for yourselves. We kicked the huts out of here. So now you guys just take care of your people just like you did, you know. And she says something to the effect of like, like you guys inspire me because they were like, what? We're just kids who like stole some food. And she's like, because there are so many of you, like everywhere we go, we find people like you who are like trying to fight back and help each other in any way that you can. And uh, I don't know. That was very beautiful. And the way that she yeah. put it. And then like the she, idea that like that it like it always comes back to this like this rise of Skywalker thing that is like, where did they get this fleet? What's going on? They're they're just not a fleet, they're just people. Yeah. Like Yeah. 
she says to them, we win by shining wherever we are. Yep. And it's like, you like you don't need me as much as you think you do. Mm-hmm. Like you're capable of doing this. It's going to be hard, but you're mm-hmm. you're plenty capable. Yeah. And and cunning on your own. Yeah. This, this was a really cool story, but there was a little bit of confusion of like, are they in the occlusion zone? Are they not? Um, I guess it doesn't really matter because it's yeah, not yeah, really yeah. the message of the story. But right. um, it's a, it, it works. Yeah. It works. That was just my random question as a like nerd. <laughs> that was my nerd question for this one. Nerd. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the Call of Coruscant by Lydia Kang. Two new characters. Uh, what is it? Amadeo Azazi and uh, Miro Lox, who are two yeah. Jedi we haven't met until we met them in a couple of comics, maybe. Um, and maybe a book or two. But they are Jedi that, like, they weren't in Phase 1 at all. But they're, so far, they've shown up in a couple of Phase 3 things. And, like, the idea is that they're Jedi. They're also, like, you know, a Jedi master and a Padawan, but they were like separate from most of those events. So now they're coming in to be like, Oh crap, who's gone? Like, um, but the story basically is about, they get the call. They have to return to Coruscant cause this is after starlight falls and everything. And the kid, the Padawan is like, I've never been to Coruscant. Okay. Well, like we have to do this meeting tomorrow and we're going to go back and we're going to see the Jedi. Go ahead. Check out the world. We've been on all these frontier lands for so long that we only know what it is to like, help people in little villages or whatever. And uh, I mean, the kid basically goes out and like makes friends and hangs out all night. And like, you think the story might be like, Oh, does he not want to be a Jedi anymore? But then he's like, Nope, a Jedi is what I want to be. I went out and kind of got a little drunk and it was fun, but I'm an, I'm a Jedi. It was nice. Yeah, to see his like master was like, kids. Oh, I'm, I'm, his master's like, I'm glad you made that choice. You smell like booze. Yeah. Go shower. We have to go meet Yoda. <laughs> Sweet. Hit the fresher. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, very cute, very short, or not very short, but very like, um, you know, when you're reading a book, or at least when I'm reading a book like this, I'm looking for all these connections. So I didn't get the connections till, you know, two months later. Uh, but I like the characters a lot. They're not like, I don't know, like the, the, the curiosity of the Padawan is like fun. And then also like the idea that these Jedi are... They're just like, well, hold on. What happened here? Wait, what? Like, I didn't even get to go to Starlight Beacon. Dang. Um, that they're just like one step removed and coming into it now. It's almost like, you know, the people that are like, do I have to read phase one and phase two to catch up on phase three? Nah, man, dive in. Nope. Come again. Yeah, it's kind of like they, they finally meet another Jedi in Coruscant and they're like, where were you? And their only answer is, we were over there. Yeah, we're the helping the people. Time. Remember we the were, people? We were right we were right off the edge of the page. You just yep. didn't see us. You didn't see us. We were over there. Um, it was good. It was fun. Yeah, I, I like I like the story. I like the test that like Amadeo Zazo has to go through to like be a sh- like sure of what it is that he wants to do. Yeah, and like wanting to help and like not even so much that like the people that he meets are like like there's the, like there's like the, a girl that he kind of yeah. like hangs out with most mm-hmm. of the night. She's not like this temptress of like, you can have this crazy <laughs> life where we just go out and party all the time. She's not necessarily that, mm-hmm. but he's kind of like the country kid in the city for the first time. That's like, dang, y'all got flying cars. I, <laughs> I only read about them in the hollows, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, he's like this room in the big city almost. Right. And by the end of it, it's like he, he wakes up the next morning doesn't know where his clothes are and like doesn't know where he is and it's like 
oh damn, I got to go back um, to the Jedi and like, you know, he had this one night where he got to sow his wild oats and like, <laughs> nope, all right, well, it's back to, right. you know, the seminary to study my priesthood. Thanks. Like, like if if you were making a Dazed to Confuse reference, this is kind of it. This is it, yeah. You know 100%. what I mean? Like this is, he almost gets to be a normal teenager, kid. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like for lack of a better word. He gets to see what life is like for people outside of that. He gets to see the universe a, l- a little bit, like in a closed way. Like they're just what pub crawling. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> they're, basically, they're just like going around these places, and it's not like they're getting into like super trouble or anything. But he's seen to see yeah. how people his age are acting, what they do, how they have fun. Uh, and yeah, he doesn't. The quite, difference between yeah. this and Days to Confuse is that at the, at the end of this story, he signs the contract and doesn't go see Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> slow ride <laughs> uh, good times um good story really cool i like it i like the characters and we just uh, starwars.com just released at the time of this recording like concept art and i just like it's some of these costumes are just rad like the master miro locks and his little sort of like he's got like the cloak but he also has like the some it was leather arm like armor piece over the neck mm-hmm. like chest kind of i'm like ah oh, dude i'm liking this stuff i don't want to make new costumes or buy 100 bucks of leather but this is good times um okay the bonus story if you got that barnes and noble edition rogue element by Alyssa wong it's crash angwa and the crew over on corellia trying to find out what's going they think that there's a nile presence building all these scav droids and they find out that there's like a person who's like destroying the things and they end up meeting that person and that person is an ex-jedi whose master was killed um and he is no longer a jedi and is just like destroying nile things and wherever he can but he's trapped on that planet or on that planet or whatever and they're like you know what our crew doesn't have and a cool ex-Jedi. Want to join our crew? Dang. By Alyssa Wong. Yeah, I was I was really surprised by this story. Like, I was excited to read it. But then when it started, I was like... I always... Sometimes I forget who it is that I'm reading. Like, what author it is. Until, like, the connections start coming in. And I'm like, oh, this right. is, like, directly after Midnight Horizon. Like yeah. it's those yeah. characters, um, and that is I think Midnight Horizon wasn't that the first place that we meet Crash Angwa, yes. or was it earlier? I, I think there was like a comic that came out, like a, a free comic book day comic or a annual or something like that. Yeah, and, I think uh, you're right, but that that's like yeah. a, a, Crash was a really prominent character in that in book. Midnight Horizon, yeah, right, and so I was like, oh, okay, this is like a direct follow-up to like the regular people of that story yeah. and not like the yeah. Jedi stuff that happens with Yoda and all that craziness at the end. Mm-hmm. And I really like this. Like the character of Rue like really surprised me in that here's this person who was a Jedi, like fell out of grace because of everything that happened and was like, I still have to do the right thing, even if it's the wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um where like there's this no rules mentality to like you know there's like this by any means necessary way of of doing all of this stuff um which i thought was really cool and 
And Rue's not infallible. Like, he gets shot in the arm, I think, at one point, and that's mm-hmm. essentially how Crash Angler finds out who he is. Right. Because, like, by night, he's crime-fighting, ex-Jedi, mask-wearing, you know, lightsaber-wielding yeah. crime destroyer. fighter. Yeah. By day, he's selling, like, gonchas out of the truck. Yeah. He's making candy, bro. Road or something, you know? Yeah. He, like, comes <laughs> back with the twist, the double loop. All good for him. Yep. Yeah. yeah, this was this was a really cool story though, and 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 it's one of again like seeding these brand new characters and and where they're going to come yeah. in for phase three is pretty fascinating. And the, also like we mentioned this with some of the stuff earlier on about like how the High Republic is like fertile ground for these new creators mm-hmm. to offer their perspectives into these things. And I think Alyssa Wong. Like, if you're reading the Afro comics and all the wild stuff that's happening there, I think Alyssa Wong is going to be a welcome addition into Phase 3 because I think, like, Phase 3 is going to be wild, but Alyssa Wong knows how to write a little bit of levity in that. That's not, like, laugh track humor. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's very situational, old Star Wars writing kind of humor that I really, really like from her. But I just love these authors that have a voice. Yeah, you know, exactly. and, and it's like, I guess, I, I mean, I, I suppose that can go either way for you if you, you know, gravitate towards that voice or not. But I feel like even the authors with voices that I don't gravitate towards, they're still so good at what they do that it's a great story. And then the ones with voices that I do, like those are the things that speak to me, like Daniel Jose Older or... You know, things like that. Like, I feel like there's there's a certain there's certain people that have that that I that I that I resonate with. And I think especially like as far as like representation goes, you have the like authors like Alyssa Wong, who really speaks to a lot of like as far as Afra goes, huge amount of representation in those comics. And like now that we're getting some of that in, in a, a High Republic era in book form, in like a way that she, she oh, I'm sorry, a way that Alyssa Wong hasn't been able to express themselves or that we've seen. Like, it's really, really cool. And I love reading their work. And I can't wait to see what they bring to the High Republic, which already is interesting. And then on top of that, like Daniel Jose Older came up with Crash Angwa, like inspired by Alyssa Wong. So then to see Alyssa Wong picked up the character that somebody else wrote inspired by them now writing themselves kind of is really funny to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a great story. Like I said, if you're going to pick this up, pick up that Barnes and Noble edition for the bonus version, however you do it. Um, worth it. You know, uh, Rue, Really interesting character, a Jedi who has been lost and forgotten, apparently. Like, I guess reinforcements came at at Corellia at the end of Midnight Horizon. Their master died in the scuffle and they just got forgotten, left there. I don't know. know Walked away. Yeah, walked away. Uh, So it's really interesting to see, like, if that person joins Crash's crew. I like that dynamic of having a, a lost Jedi there. Like, I always like that. You, you've, you've heard me pine for Quinlan Voss on the Bad Batch. So 
this should be no surprise to you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and who's to say later on that Rue doesn't come back into the Jedi fold? Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and also really interesting to see that those Nile sort of connections are still operating on Valo and that there's people that we know that are like trying to put a stop to it. You know what I mean? That's cool too. Yeah. It shows how, how far their reach is Yeah, in these kind of like underground kind of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember when, when all of this started and they talked about the Nile, like and they're dangerous in a different kind of way. And now seeing yeah. like, just how formidable they are without being force sensitive. Yeah. Even though they have a way to like literally fight the force. Um, Like what it is about them that makes them special is that they, the Nile have found the best ways to break up people. You know, like we talked about earlier about communication and communities and Mm -hmm. literally severing the galaxy at a point. Um, and it's one of the things with reading Shadows of Starlight uh, in the, the relationship between Elzar and Avar right after uh, Starlight Falls. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you spread the idea of unity in a very disconnected universe or galaxy? Right. Like, it's got to be really hard to kind of have that kind of um, message that, like, it'll be okay, we will bring everybody together and you'll all be fine. <laughs> when really terrible things are happening in full view of the oh, entire galaxy. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the wonderful book. We're now in phase three, and it's already starting off hot to death. Uh, yeah. Where the future of this whole thing is going to take us, I got no clue, but I'm here for the ride every step of the way. Uh Thank you for being on this podcast with me. I have taken two of your human hours. Man, listen, it's two quick hours. I have talked about Star Wars books Man, it longer was, than it this. Was too, you know how it is. Or you know how we get with these books. Yeah, usually yeah. it's me staring at my dead-eyed wife and son because they're just like, Dad, shut up. <laughs> Y'all want to know about Buryaga, though? Yeah. Let me tell I'm you about how uh, Ember rubs up again. Yeah. Uh, and singes his fur. You see what Charles Sewell did right there is good times. Uh, what do you want to know again. about Nubs? What That's you know what about Nubs? He in the same book as uh, Dagon Guerra. Somebody put that on Twitter and it made me laugh. Somebody, somebody was like that uh, that character encyclopedia, the High Republic one. I guess people yeah. are getting review copies already. And somebody was like, Nubs is in the same book, like right next to Dagon Guerra. <laughs> That's just funny. Well, did did you see the um, announcement for the next year's free comic book day comics? It's like Nubs and Quart, right? Yeah, on the cover of one of those two books. Or is it Nubs and Zint, that little guy that we met at the end of uh, phase one? Remember that guy? He was like another whatever Quart is, but like even smaller and cuter. Oh, that's right. He was like (laughs) the younger. He was was like the kid version. Teeny little cute guy. Yeah. Now that now that uh, Quart took his mask off, and is doing killer impressions of people. What if yeah. Quart? Next time we see Quart, he's doing impressions of Nubs. It's rad. Every second of it. Just <laughs> you trying to get Deep Bradley Baker more paychecks. No. Yeah. Deep, <laughs> Deep Bradley paycheck don't need any more money. Give it to oh, Haas. He can got do too it. many paychecks. 
All right. Hey, thank you for coming on this podcast with me. I loved every second of it. Talking books, talking stories. I am just as excited for phase three as you are, I think. Uh, real quick, you want to tell everybody uh, where they can find you once again? Yeah, so basically everything is going to be at the website, jammedtransmissions.com. And if you want to follow me on the socials, it's at Cad Bain's Bounty. And that's about where you can find me. And go listen to Jam Transmissions because it's a hell of a lot of fun. It's me talking to myself. Do that. Not because I like the sound of my own voice, but because Sal's too goddamn busy to come on my show. Hey, I like the sound of your voice. <laughs> You're going to be on. We, we have plans, guys. Sal's going to be plans. on my show soon. You might you might hear Sal on my show before you hear this show. Yeah, that's true. Because of the way scheduling works. But who mm-hmm. knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? You never know. Time is a flat circle, y'all. That's right. All right. Time is a, is a resonating the beacon. The of all Jedi. For control of the Force itself. <laughs>